Welcome to the Record of Our Forebears podcast. I'm your host, Roland Godet. And as always, with me is my wife. Yes, Summer Godet. And the Record of Our Forebears podcast, we discuss some of the dopest black folks that may or that you may or may not have heard of. So grab a pen, some paper, and get ready to learn something new. week got a couple more new folks probably for a lot of people maybe one one of them you may know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but one of them I'm, I'm certain that a lot of people don't know. <laughs> so we got Lemuel Haynes mm, and Phyllis Wheatley all right so I'm gonna get us started with Lemuel Haynes and I'm gonna start us off with a I'm gonna read something to start us off here lies the dust of a poor hell-deserving sinner who ventured into eternity, trusting wholly on the merits of Christ for salvation, in full belief of the great doctrines he preached while on earth. He invites his children and all who read this to trust their eternal interests in the same foundation. So that is from the epitaph of Lemuel Haynes Mm. on on his gravestone, on his headstone. So Lemuel Haynes uh, was born in... He was born on July 18th, 1753, in West Hartford, uh, Connecticut. But it wasn't Connecticut then, it was just British, part of British America. Okay. So 1753, it's not America, it's a British colony back then. (laughs) And his mother was a Scottish immigrant and an indentured servant. His father was an enslaved African that lived on the farm of a man named John Haynes. And as an infant, his parents abandoned him. Mm-hmm. So there's actually some uh, mystery with who his mother actually was. Um, he there's actually uh, some people who believe that his mother actually was a prominent white woman mm-hmm. in the town, and that's why he was abandoned. Wow! And because she didn't, because her his father was black, mm-hmm. and so you know it was kind of seen as taboo in 1753. Of course. So, um, he never actually met his parents. Um, in, in one of his writings, he talks about uh, being in town one day and somebody pointed out to him who he who they thought his mother was, mm. but never actually spoke with her or his father. And what happened was, um, since he was abandoned, uh, there was a man named uh, David Rose. He was assigned to just be an indentured servant with David Rose until he was 21 years old. And so he worked with uh, on the farm, on the Rose farm in Granville, Massachusetts. Um, during the day, he did various jobs on the farm, you know, just farm work. And at night, he intended the plantation schools. They had schools for all the children who mm. worked the farms. So he went to one of the schools there. And um, he also participated in some of the traditions in the Rolls household. Mm. Um, they actually treated him like one of their children. So he just he was raised in their house and he worked with their children and. Uh, one of their traditions that they did in their household was on Saturday evenings, they would take turns reading sermons. Um, and one evening, Haynes read a particularly rousing sermon. Those, <laughs> the, those are the words that were used to describe it. Mm-hmm. And when he was finished, uh, Rose asked him, he said, Who, who's, uh, whose sermon was that? Is that a, you know, who's the author of the sermon? Was that Edwards? Uh-huh. Was that Jonathan Edwards? Was that 
Is that George Whitfield? Mm. And he admitted that he actually wrote that sermon. Mm. So from from that day forward, they were like, they started training him to be a preacher. Mm -hmm. And he actually would proofread sermons for people in the uh, on the uh, in the town in the, in his area. He would proofread their sermons. He would write his own sermons. And so they started to really train him to be a preacher. So wow. So at 21 years old, in about 1774, he was released from his indenture. And not too long after that, he joined the local militia. You might have heard of these. You might have heard of this local militia. <laughs> 1774. Oh, they were called the Minutemen. Yes. So yeah, he was. He fought in the American Revolution. Wow. He participated in a siege of Boston during the American Revolution. Uh, later, he actually was assigned to another famous group during the American Revolution called the Green Mountain Boys Ethan, uh, with Ethan Allen. And it was during this time that he began criticizing slavery and the slave trade. Um, he would write to criticize slavery and the slave trade. Mm. Um, 1774, 775 ish, right around the time that he was joining the army, was right around the time the Declaration of Independence was written. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he wrote. Uh, one of his mo one of Lemuel Hang's most famous pieces is called Liberty Further Extended. Mm. It was a direct response to the Declaration of Independence. Wow. And one of the main quotes is Liberty is equally as precious to a black man as it is to a white one, and bondage as equally intolerable to one as it is to the other. Because it was apparent that they weren't going to free. Mm -hmm. The slaves, mm -hmm. even with the Declaration of Independence and all that it said. And so that's why he's called it Liberty Further Extended, because mm -hmm. it needed to be extended to us, too. Of course. So um, after the war was over, he returned to Granville, Massachusetts and continued farming and studying theology. He started studying Latin and Greek. And in November eight, uh, 1780, he was about 27 years old. He was licensed to preach and he accepted a position at uh, the Congregational Church in Granville. So it was just one church in the town. He was uh, <laughs> just there, like kind of as a uh, in, like an interim preacher. Like he didn't preach all the time; just helped out, like to preach. Um, five years later, in 1785, he was ordained, and he became the first black person to ever be ordained in the United States. Wow! The first black ordained minister in the United States, and when he was put. Uh, over the West Parish Congregational Church in Rutland, Vermont, a couple of years after his ordination, he became the first black pastor of a white congregation mm, in the United States. Okay. So, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't imagine in the 17, 1780s, mm -mm. like Not that's, you know, that's the height of, you know, Jefferson, Washington. Mm -hmm. um, just a lot of things were going on. Mm -hmm. And he was just out here like, I'm preaching. Yes. And I don't care who I'm preaching to. This is where I grew up. I'm a preacher in my area. Mm -hmm. And so um, he remained at that. He remained there for about 30 years and he gained a reputation for his fierce Calvinistic preaching and his ardent opposition to slavery, oppression, slavery and oppression and racism. Mm hmm. So um, some of his sermons and writers are actually distributed in newspapers, even internationally. Like wow. people in Britain like read some of his sermons and stuff. That's how. That's how big he was at mm -hmm. the time. So mm -hmm. um, he was one of the first. That means, you know, obviously with his stuff being published in the newspaper, that means he also was one of the first black people to be published mm -hmm. too, like mm -hmm. around that time, because there yes. wasn't a lot of people being published. So he was one of the first. Not the first, though. Not the first. But one of the first. We'll get to the first later. 
Um, his works uh, that he wrote, they talked about having interracial benevolence, liberty, natural rights, and justice. Some of the same things that were being talked about, you know, in other writings at the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, in, 18, in 1818, he was actually removed from his position at the Rutland Church in Vermont. Or, yeah, in Vermont, sorry. Um, it was because of his political views, and he criticized uh, the war in 1812. He, mm. he wasn't against it, you know, so politics yeah, got him. Oh, yeah, you know, sometimes <laughs> yeah, it just, yeah. Yeah, they had to get him up out of there. Yeah. And it started to be frowned upon, too, that him being an authority over uh, a church full of white people. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things, too. So it contributed to it. So it was his politics, his criticism of the war. And people started to kind of frown upon this, this black man being in authority over it. Mm -hmm. so, um, he served about three more years in Vermont at a different church uh, before he accepted a position uh, in a place called South Granville, New York, where he served as the pastor for about 11 years, final 11 years of his life. Wow. And he died in September 1833 in South Granville. He was about 80 years old. Mm. And so one of the things that, as I was just, as I was reading about Lemuel Haynes and just kind of going through like a lot of his writings and reading through his sermons, is that he talks, like he had like an urgency, like to share the gospel with people. Mm -hmm. Like it was real urgent with him because of just the dangers of being like in the wilderness. Like it was because they said he, had, first of all, he had a couple of near-death experiences. Mm. Also, just the dangerousness, like I said, of being in the wilderness yes. of Vermont in the mountains. Yes. Just the dangers there and being at war. He was surrounded by death a mm -hmm. lot in his life. Mm -hmm. And so he had a couple of near-death experiences that stuck with him. One of them was he, as a young boy, he said he found himself home alone during an intense thunderstorm and the entire house was shaking. Mm. And he just and he wrote that he recalled feeling as if he would be struck down by the lightning. Mm. He just remembered that, and he would have had to have been about five or six, and it just stuck with him. Mm -hmm. uh, said another time he was bathing in a river and almost drowned. One of his friends had to jump in and save him. And, you know, this kind of sticks with you, you know, mm -hmm. happens as a kid. Another time he almost got gored to death by an ox, and he had to hide in a tree until another passerby could come by and help him get control of the ox again. Mm -hmm. He had been beating the ox too hard. He had been, you know, driving him too hard. And the ox got mad and almost, he had scars all over his face. Wow. And, yeah. So, <laughs> so the, all those things stuck with him. And then at 21, he goes and fights in a war mm -hmm. and then he comes back and then he's in Vermont and Vermont at the time is, I mean, I don't know how you imagine a Vermont is. I've seen pictures of Vermont mm -hmm. and it's just like mountainous and a lot of trees, but you know, there's no roads back then mm -hmm. going through you. You know, they're building that stuff at that time, mm -hmm. you know, in the 1700, late 1700s. So just that death he had, because he was surrounded by death, he was had an urgency to preach the gospel so that people would be saved before they died. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what his life, like, that's why he was so fervent in his preaching. Of course. is because of that, just being surrounded by death like that. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah, just crazy. Like, man. I couldn't imagine that, you know, at the time, just, just imagine like you were a servant, right? You're, you're, imagine you're a slave at that time mm -hmm. and you see this guy, he looks like you, but he the pastor of the church. Mm -hmm. That's gotta be like, 
mind blowing a little bit. Yes. It goes against everything that you know. And even at that point, the law of the land. Right. Right. And so, yes, definitely mind blowing. But also, um, it's just great for us to hear this story. Mm -hmm. We should definitely um, know this story because this is a part of our history. Right. And so this is nothing new. Um, we shouldn't be shocked if we, you know, to go to a church um, that may be led by a black teacher, leader, a pastor, preacher. Mm-hmm. And the church may be predominantly white. This is not um, this is not anything new yeah. in American history. Yeah, going on in America. yeah. And so um, his story is one that's very important. And um, I'm happy that you shared it because now we know mm-hmm. and um, and we can learn even more. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful that this has been documented like yep. this. So, yeah, I yeah, I am just just telling you, like Lemuel Haynes is one of when I discovered Lemuel Haynes, mm-hmm. I was like, yo, this guy, this is incredible. This is just one of the most incredible things that I've read. Mm-hmm. And the more I read his writings, um, I read Liberty Further Extended. I read some of the responses that he had to other people like writing essentially against what he was, mm-hmm. a black pastor of a white church. Mm-hmm. And his response to them was always stern. It was mm-hmm. truthful, mm-hmm. but also, you know, it was it, it was loving, mm-hmm. too. So, man, I mean, it's just crazy because we see so many layers there. Just, mm-hmm. you know, this is my these are my words, but I'm hearing him as literally like he's a founding father in his in his own right yeah. he's a patriot yep. in his own right and so um again many of these people just touch so many parts of our culture mm-hmm. right um and we may f- see ourselves in them you know whether we um are black or white you know um male or female or whatever like we can see how this person has influenced our um, our uh, religion, our belief system, and you know our country. Yep. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And yep. you introduced me to him. Yep. I had never I was like, who is this? Yep. Who is this person? <laughs> what? Like, why should I know? Why? Why should I care? <laughs> right. But uh, you know, like I said, in many ways, um, his actions have obviously affected you know us today yeah. right here in the present yeah so i'm gonna let you go ahead because i could talk about Lemuel hands for like two and a half hours so. <laughs> okay all right so um this next person wow here we go again talking about um people who we should know and i hope that um this this person is like uh Reintroducing you to, you know, a familiar friend or someone whom um, we all should um, should know, uh, Phyllis Wheatley, Phyllis Wheatley. And um, I like to read a quote um, from um, from Phyllis Wheatley. Twas mercy bought me from my pagan land, taught my benighted soul to understand that there is a God, that there's a savior, too. Once I redemption neither sought nor knew. Now, Phyllis Wheatley was born in West Africa 
and and they're not sure exactly quite which part, but it's either modern modern day Senegal or uh, the Gambia um, in about 1753. So we're still in that same kind of time frame, right? Um, Time frame. Yep. About the same year. Around the same age. Yes. Um, And so uh, when she actually um, was about around the age of seven, she was kidnapped and um, sold to European slavers. She was forced into a slave ship and um, she survived that passage Mm. all of the way from that continent of Africa um, to the shores of, here we go, Massachusetts, right? In 1761. So just a small babe, a child, seven years old, and she survived that. And... um, they that passage was also known as the middle passage mm. and um and for i guess we can talk about that yeah. for those who are unfamiliar with the middle passage as yeah. well yeah so the middle passage uh, if you're not familiar with that was the um so the slave trade the atlantic slave trade was called also called the triangular slave trade mm-hmm. um there was obviously three sides to a triangle the middle passage was the side of the triangle that went from africa to the Americas. Mm-hmm. So the, the legs would start, uh, let's say the, the first point of the triangle would start in Europe. They would go from Europe to Africa and they would bring whatever they were going to trade with the people in Africa for slaves. They would trade them there. They would pick up slaves and then they would take people mm-hmm. across the Atlantic, mm-hmm. the Middle Passage to the Americas. When they got to the Americas, they would sell the people mm-hmm. for things that they wanted in Europe, mm-hmm. whether that was tobacco or whatever else, whatever kind of crops <laughs> they were growing in Europe. And then they would, yeah. the third leg of the triangle was them going back to Europe mm-hmm. from the Americas with those things mm-hmm. that they then sold for the things that they needed back in Africa. Mm-hmm. And that was a triangular slave trade. So the middle passage is the portion of the, of this triangular slave trade that took Africans to the Americas. Mm-hmm. And um, the ship that she actually um, was uh, kidnapped on and forced on was called Phyllis. Mm -hmm. And so we don't know her birth name. However, we do know that her name um, that we know her by came from was from that name of the ship um, that she was transported on. And so um, when she arrived in the Americas in Massachusetts, this child was placed on an auction block and she was sold um, and purchased by enslavers John and Susanna Wheatley. So here's where we get uh, the Phyllis's last name. Yeah, that was a common thing, too. Mm -hmm. They would give the the people who they were enslaving the last name of the enslavers of the enslaver. Yes, yes. Um, And so not long after that, um, I was just really shocked because Phyllis's up bringing it was like entirely different than what I thought you know or what in my mind I assumed or even hearing the other stories of the people who we've shared who were kidnapped and enslaved of how um, they were kept Mm -hmm. Um, and what what turned out was just it was just um, a surprising series of events Um, so they taught her um, well Susanna taught uh, Phyllis how to read and write in English and Latin. Mm. And um, it was stated by John Wheatley um, in 1772. 
He said, quote, without any assistance from school education and by only what she was taught in the family, she, meaning uh, Phyllis, in 16 months time from her arrival to Massachusetts, right, Mm -hmm. attained the English language to which she was an utter stranger before. So she had never spoken English. Um, And he said it was to such a degree as to read any, the most difficult parts of the sacred writings um, to the astonishment, to the great astonishment of all who heard her, end quote. So they were just blown away um, by this child who was able to um, to pick up the language and just without any like formal um, educational training, and so they like continued in 16 on. Months. That yes, like a and year six, and a half. yes, a year and a half, and um, which makes you wonder, like you know, what was her life like before? Maybe she was in you know a school or being taught mm-hmm. at some point um, before her. Um, before she was kidnapped, but they they continued on. This is just it just blew my mind. Like, okay, so they're gonna keep teaching this kid this essentially, you know, child who grows up into a woman and becomes like a prodigy. Mm. Um, they taught her theology, ancient history, mythology, and literature, and she wrote her first published poem at uh, around the age of thirteen or. 14. It was between that time. And so when you talked about earlier, like, oh, you know, letting us know, but there was someone else who was the first published, your first Mm -hmm. black person published um, in the United States. It was Phyllis Wheatley. Wow. Um, And so the work uh, that she published with that poem uh, at about the age of 13 um, was uh, titled On Messrs. Hussey and Coffin. Now, it's a story about two men who nearly drowned at sea, and um, it was printed in the Newport Mercury, which was an earlier colonial newspaper, because we're in, of course, colonial Colonial times. Um, Now, in 1773, Phyllis Wheatley's her first and only book of poetry um, titled Poems on Various Subjects, Religions and Morale was published. So here we go with that first book. That was published in 1773. And um, due to, you know, the prevailing views about uh, the intelligence of blacks, um, of enslaved black people um, at the time, she was examined by um, dozens of prominent um, white men at the time. And they said uh, they had about 17 um, men from Boston came down to just pretty much probe or I feel like maybe probably like quiz her, assess her, like all of these things. And they said um, one of those men, I'm included a name who we should be familiar with, with American history, John Hancock. Oh, John Hancock. Um, And so he pretty much put his John Hancock on it and like asserted (laughs) that she indeed wrote those poems Mm -hmm. in her book. So, you know, just... They had this kid go through a vetting process because they're, you know, we know now that those claims were false, but there were claims on black Americans um, as to why they should be enslaved. Well, because they are closer and level to animals. Right. Yeah, and so less intelligent, less and have the capacity. Yes. To learn. Yes. Yeah. Which um, 
anyone who had actually interacted with, you know, um, black people at that time knew that that was far from the truth. Um, However, uh, her book, of course, The Poems on Various Subjects is um, still considered to be that first book, the first book published by a black person in the U.S. history. And um, as that book made its way um, through, you know, the eyes and ears of people in, uh, in our country, mm-hmm. she ended up getting her emancipation. Wow. So she was emancipated um, um, shortly after the book's publication. Okay. Um, now, during the war for independence, she became a strong supporter of the Patriots cause. Mm. And she wrote several poems in honor of the commander of the Continental Army, George Washington. Okay. And uh, she sent him one of her poems like, oh, this is like this blew my mind. I'm like, okay. Um, again, you know how I like to describe these these uh, people in this record, the audacity. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but she sent him one. And in March of 1776, um, after reading the poem, George Washington read her poem. He invited her to um his headquarters in Cambridge, Massachusetts, because wow. he's like, I have to meet this person like. George Washington, who later went on to be the first president, invited her to his home um, because he just couldn't. um, He marveled at her writing. And um, after her enslavers, John and Susanna Wheatley died, um, she met a free black man. So here we go again. There were people who, as we talked about, were able Mm -hmm. to purchase their freedom or were born um, free. It wasn't just like the black people weren't just slaves. No, they weren't. It was a a range of... Yes. Some of them were even indentured servants. Yes. As we know with Lemuel Haynes. Yes, exactly. Case in point with Lemuel Haynes. And so she met him. His name was John. His name was John Peters. And unfortunately, even though she was a published author, and I feel like today we still, we hear the term the starving artist Mm -hmm. um but she still lived they lived in poverty Mm -hmm. uh, because they were still black here and they had two children who died in infancy and um her husband ended up being in prison because he was in debt and so he was imprisoned in uh around 1784 and she was actually pregnant again at that time with her third um child and she tried to work as a maid, like in a boarding house to try and take care of um, those things. And even, you know, with me reading that, I felt so extremely sad because here's this brilliant mind who, you know, I'm thinking she should be at a convention with the yep. delegates here and there and helping create, um, you know, create the laws and um, all of these things um, to better, right, for the betterment of our um society but here she was living in poverty um so anyway moving on because um, i know we got to wrap it up here she died in december on december 5th 1784 and she had continued writing so although she was working as a maid and mm-hmm. continuing to try and take care of um herself she uh continued writing and she tried to publish a second book of poetry uh by the time uh she had died but she failed to do so um because at that time you needed subscribers you needed uh to be able to prove um that your published work would would guarantee a number of sales uh, a certain amount of sales which we still see that today with certain um products and um you know, with the fir- with her first book, she had support. Mm-hmm. We've heard those names. We heard, a, you know, a would be president. All of those people who um, 
had her writings or probably supported her. And so having those men like John Hancock come and um, assess her and examine her intellect, um, Gave, they gave her the support that she needed. Mm-hmm. Um, like basically like their cache or yes, whatever. Yes, yes. Wow. Um, that would guarantee a good number of sales um, for her work. So, you know, many prominent, other prominent people of the time, they read her work. Um, and we'll, we know some of these people. Again, uh, John Hancock, uh, George Washington, John Paul Jones, Thomas oh, Paine. John Paul Jones is crazy. Mm-hmm. And so... <laughs> Uh, these people, they recognize her creativity, her skill um, and the, and her intelligence. And um, they were they s- stood by her. But there was one notable, one notable detractor. Uh, yeah. And I could not believe it when I read it. But then I said, mm, yeah, you can believe it. Uh, and we know him. <laughs> His name is Thomas Jefferson. Yep. And Jefferson. um had to make it be known. And we're so happy that we have this record because we can read the quote (laughs) um, that he left um, about Phyllis Wheatley. Um, And in his uh, notes of the state of Virginia, uh, he wrote, religion indeed has produced a Phyllis Wheatley, but it could not produce a poet. (laughs) The the compositions published under her name are below the dignity of criticism. End quote. So he stopped. He's not going to say anymore. <laughs> but it sounds like criticism to me. Yeah, uh, that, that quote is that's a hating. Yeah. I mean, it's you're criticizing. <laughs> and I just feel like, OK, then. And you know what? Just like today's social media and the Internet, like, be careful what you write because it's there forever. And um and again, we're looking at, hmm, what is, how, how does history show? Do he, they end he, up on the right side yeah. of history with the and quote how, like and that? how is he living his life? I mean, yes, we know. <laughs> just like, you know, I mean, we can, we can go and we can, we can think about even, you know, George Washington. We know uh, many of the founding fathers did have slaves. Mm-hmm. They enslaved um, a people from the continent of Africa. And so we can... Um, we can look at the record to assume how they felt about people, right. black uh, people from um, from West Africa uh, or people who were enslaved. And so um, for some, this quote makes total sense. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, we lived in Virginia for some time and, you know, we were able to uh, be able to go and, and, and see. Monticello. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and see um, Jefferson's home and things of that nature. So we know where his um, stand was. And so some things just kind of make sense. We know where people stood mm-hmm. on slavery and um, and things like this kind of turn your those ideas on top of its head. Yep. So, yeah, yep. sounds like a hater to me on this <laughs> point. But, you know. We uh we move on. Um, Phyllis Wheatley, her poetry was so deeply, deeply influenced by her faith. Mm. And that is the point that we really want to hone in on. It yeah. was influenced by her faith in Christ and her life experiences. And um, I'd like to end by sharing a final quote from her. Um, she says, in every human breast, God has implanted a principle, which we call love of freedom. Mm. It is impatient of oppression and it pants for deliverance. Mm. Sounds like a poet to me. Yes. (laughs) So again, we, um, 
hope that you all, if you don't know about Phyllis Wheatley, go read more. There are children's books mm-hmm. on Phyllis Wheatley. Of course, you can read her own writing. And um, just another one of those. We're looking at the, this record. The record is here. And um, so, so I'm so very happy to be able to share this with everyone. So. Absolutely. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, Phyllis Wheatley is incredible. Like, she is like the mother of mm-hmm. of black literature mm-hmm. in the United States. Mm-hmm. So, you know, think about, you know, whether it's um, like musicians, whether it's artists today, mm-hmm. whether it's um, poets, you know, mm-hmm. from the Harlem Renaissance mm-hmm. era or other writers, W.B. Du Bois written books they on mm-hmm. her shoulders like they're standing on the on again we talk about we know this standing on the shoulders of giants mm-hmm. um and so it was it makes me feel i don't know just pri- i have a privilege to be able to mm-hmm. to bring this person's work i you know it's not my work but to share the things that they've done uh for us yeah. um as a as a country um, as believers in Christ, yeah. it's just it's so wonderful to be able to share this. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. All right. So Lemuel Haynes, Phyllis Wheatley, get familiar. Mm-hmm. And then join us next time where we'll have a couple more people <laughs> that we're gonna bring to you, and uh, you know, hopefully you learn something new. All right. Until next time. <laughs>